and you're hoping maybe you sit with somebody who might like you. So uh, people come to these for different reasons. So we'll go ahead and get started. Um, We're going to break our morning into uh, two parts. First part will be talking through concepts of men of integrity. And uh, then we'll take a break, and then we're going to come back and specifically talk about relationships between fathers and sons. Uh, I've done a fair amount of uh, conversation and research on that, and it's worth reporting. Just what men around the world are saying they wish they knew and wish they uh, had in relationships with either their sons or their fathers. So, you have notes in front of you. Let's get started. I, I did my first men's conference back in 83, long before they were in vogue or most people had thought about them. It wasn't that I was that much ahead of my time. Part of it was my own father died when I was 15. Um, without warning, just had a massive heart attack and died overnight. And it was just one of those sort of traumas. My oldest brother had been killed in a car accident. My second brother was in Vietnam. So I had men around me who all of a sudden were gone. And so as I got into uh, early adulthood and started thinking a lot about this, I thought, let's just start talking to men about being a man. Now, as I was in my 20s, and I was thinking, you know, I still have a lot to learn, but let's pass this on. I was invited, I moved to Canada, and I was, uh, I was invited to the first men's conference in Canada. This, this was an interesting invitation. They said, you are a select number of 250 men from across Canada that we're inviting for a weekend. They said, there's going to be uh, four components to this weekend. We're going to get together, we're going to go to the woods. We're going to be men together in the woods. Okay, I, I like the woods. Uh, we're going to beat on drums together. Well, I used to be a drummer. I, I, I can do drums. We're going to be naked in the woods together. I'm going, when I, I, I'm comfortable. I can be naked in the woods with a couple hundred other men. I, I can think of things I'd rather do, but I, I could do that. And we're going to call upon spirits of great men of the past. I wonder how that one's going to work. Well, apparently so did everybody else, because although I was one of that select number of 250, the invitations kept coming, and then it was a select number of 150, and then they had to cancel it, because either men didn't like drums, or they didn't like the idea of being naked with 250 other men for the weekend, or as Canada, it was probably cold, and that was probably the issue. So by the end of the day, we're going to bring out the drums, and uh, you can decide if you want to leave your clothes on or not. That, that'll be up to you. When I first moved to New York 16 years ago, I, uh, like many other men of insight and, and uh, good looks and charm, I had a ponytail. I, uh, <clears throat> I cut my ponytail about two years ago. My, my uh, two daughters and wife sat down with me and said, it's really time to update. And I was, I was thinking, if I don't do this, I'm going to get on one of those shows where they come and capture you and do all that to you. And uh, my youngest daughter had the, uh, the, the best. I was arguing that ponytails on men are sort of like black pumps on women. They're classics. They never go out of style. But my youngest daughter convinced me that she said, Dad, listen, look, look, in, your, uh, look in your diary. She said, it's, uh, 
It's not the 60s anymore. She said, if you've noticed the date in the corner, it's not the 70s anymore. She said, Dad, please look. We're, we're actually in the 21st century. And then she paused and she said, Dad, even Meatloaf cut his hair. It, it's time, buddy. Come on. <laughs> so, so if Meatloaf cut his hair, I, I had to do mine. But I had just moved to New York, and uh, in my mind, I had amazing hair. And so instead of checking with the blokes of where's the barbershop, I checked with the women and said, like, since I got good hair, where, where does a guy like me get his hair cut? And they all told me the same place. It was called Making Waves. You know, normally don't go to a place like that, but uh, I don't want this thing to get butchered. So I went to Making Waves, and uh, I had my appointment. I didn't know at the time that she was the owner of the place. A tall, significantly good-looking gal, probably 5'10". And, um, you know, she was a little nervous. Who's this guy? And she said, you know, what, what, how'd you come here? And I told her, and she goes, I said, I, I need a haircut. I'm off doing a conference this weekend in uh, in Minneapolis. And she said, what, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing a conference for men. She said, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm talking about men and intimacy. She goes, what would you talk about? I'm thinking, I, I don't... I don't want to rehearse the seminar. I don't want her knowing what I know. It's dangerous if women know some of this stuff, which is why some of them are, we've not invited them here. And, uh, yeah, so you go, oh, it is dangerous, isn't it? Yeah. And I said, I thought, okay, I'll just, I'll just give her a couple quick things, and that'll get her, uh, we'll move on to another conversation. So the first thing I said is, look, you, you, you know this, but... Um, Pornography for men has very little to do with sexuality. Research is overwhelming that pornography for men is just a desire for a, a close connection and intimacy that they don't know how to have in real life. So I'll talk about that. She goes, really? That, that's true? Yeah, that's true. And she said, well, what else do you know? I'm going, uh, see, I don't want to have this conversation with you. And so I said, okay, look, here, here, here's the second round. And I gave her another thing. I thought if I, if I told her something about pornography, she might leave me alone. Yeah, she didn't. And she goes, okay, just one more. Tell me one more. So I, I, uh, I said, look, guys always think sex is about, you know, a, a, a style or a technique or something cool. What guys don't seem to understand is that women feel the sexiest when they feel really secure. She stopped cutting my hair, took the chair and spun it around, looked me right in the eye, she goes, who else knows this stuff? <laughs> See, you know, I'm not sure anybody knows this stuff. She goes, girls, listen to this. Say it again. And I don't, I don't want to say it again. So I repeated this thing. But she started cutting my hair very slowly. Like, this was going to take a while. She just wanted to keep the conversation going. And uh, by the time I was done, eight women had pulled chairs up, and they were just listening. So I finished, reached for my wallet to pay. A woman, probably in her 50s, grabbed my arm, and she goes, you're not paying for this. This is worth a lot to us. What I discovered is there were, in the future, when I went to get my hair cut, there were actually women who would phone in, discover when I was coming, and then come in for appointments at that time. I never had to pay for a haircut. So, uh, I'm giving that to say I uh, started this a long time ago. 
have done this in a number of places. So let's get started. Becoming a real man with real integrity who lives in the real world. Let's put this together. Real men. If you notice, we're not going to talk about softer sides of men as much today. You kind of look at me and notice style. I'm not going to talk to you about lighting candles and writing poems. That's not what this is about. This is about how do you take real men stuff, blokey stuff, stuff that you've grown up with, and how do you figure out how to take that stuff and turn it into the kind of man that makes a contribution in his family, in his own life, have deep levels of satisfaction. How do I do this in my community? And since we're here, how do we do this in, in church? So we've got to start, start talking about what, what are men like when they think private thoughts? So let's ask a question. What are real men really like? Well, there's something about image. You remember back at uni, for those of you who were there, and if not, those of you who just go back to high school, guys were classic for image. They all had an image. It was the car they drove. Um, it was the athletic event they were part of. It was, uh, you know, there was always some guy who at uni had his, uh, always had a, a tie on from like the first day because he was, uh, was going to be president of the student body on his way to becoming like bishop of the universe or something like that. He just he had these dreams that he was going to be amazing. When I was living in Canada, I had a colleague who just joined me. He, uh, young, published, um, had his Ph.D. from the eastern part of the United States from one of the known and prestigious institutions. And uh, he came up to my office one day. He goes, Martin, I, I've been a scholar for a long time. I, 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 my wife tells me I'm a geek. Now, he, he said, I, I want to go with you. I understand you go to pubs and you, have, you engage in conversations with, with guys about, like, real-world stuff. Can I go with you? Now, I looked up. He had a, a nice tweed sport coat, a pink shirt, and a bow tie. Now, apparently where he came from, that was cool. But in Western Canada, that was not cool in, in any context. And I looked at him and I said, if we walk in together, they're going to think one of us is gay, and it won't be me. He goes, no, look, I've already thought about this. Like he said, I, I, I got a cap, and I'm going to pull it down. And I said, first of all, they don't call them caps here. So finally, we just said, look, um, well, uh, well, I'll have you go with me once, but you can't sit by me. Like, I don't want anybody knowing you're with me. Uh, so you have to sit a couple of uh, a couple seats over just so you can still listen, but you don't, you, I don't want people knowing you're with me. It, it, I won't have any kind of good conversations if they know that. So he sat a couple seats down. What I didn't realize, and, and you'll know this, men can't look at other men and tell if men are good looking. You, you know this, right? You can't look at another guy and go, uh, the dude's good looking. It just doesn't work. Women can look at other women and tell if they're good looking. Women will often say, was, was he good looking? How am I supposed to know? Like, I have no idea. Well, I never thought of this guy as apparently good looking, but apparently women, especially when they'd had numbers of drinks, thought he was. <laughs> so I... I didn't warn him that maybe late at night one of them might hit on him. 
And uh, it was close to midnight, and uh, I noticed he wasn't uh, listening in very much, looked down, and there were two women. It was pushing midnight. Two women who apparently didn't want to go home alone um, were, uh, were doing their best to win him over. And I looked over at him, and he was like, come and rescue me. I said, you, you're the one who wanted to come. So I just got up and left and left him there. I, he, he, he did okay. He learned, he learned a number of things that night. Real men have, uh, they just don't even think about it. There's image. It's the car you drive. It's where you live. It's the job you have. It's, for some of you, it's all sorts of things. For some of you, you give no thought to it. But people go, you must. Otherwise, why would you do that? second part of why men are the way they are, what they're really like, has control issues. If you haven't read this, don't know this, women talk about men in control all the time. Guys very seldom talk about it. Unless you happen to have, uh, you're not your own boss and you happen to work for a boss who has control issues, you can identify it in somebody else. But it's just not something men think about. But throughout cultures, Men do have control issues. Uh, for example, research is overwhelming that rape is not a crime of, of uh, sexuality. It's a crime of violence and control. Domestic violence and uh, abuse, it's about control. We'll look later at why men raise their voice, why men um, are, get angry, why men are so angry. Basically, control issues. I, I, I got to win. I got to have it my way. Whether they actually articulate it or not, it's just in the male psyche. It's part of how it is. Third part, by way of overview, is just compartmentalization. Men are masters at compartmentalizing their lives. This is what I'm like at work. This is what I'm like at home. This is what I'm like someplace else. This is what I'm like on the golf course. This is what I'm like with my blokes. This is what I'm like when I'm with my kids. We, we have different compartments. What we're going to try and do today is look at how do you put those together. I'll give you a classic example of this. You're a, a number of issues are more difficult to research in Australia just because there aren't people sitting around thinking thoughts on research models and patterns. So I'll use some other ones from around the world since so much of what I've done has been various countries around the world. We discovered in the, in the United States that throughout the entirety of recorded history in the U.S., there had only been one known mass murderer who was female. And that didn't come until the last part of the 1990s. woman in Florida, they've now made a movie about her. But mass murderers are almost always men. Oh. Take a look at the guys across the table from you. Look at that. That wild look in his eye. You have no idea what that guy's capable of. <laughs> now, this is significant. If, if mass murders are almost exclusively male, why is it? And so they begin to, to interview, just informally interview, neighbors and family members and friends of mass murderers. And they almost always say the same thing. He seemed like a great guy. Numbers of times he said, he seemed like such a nice young man. And you go, time out. How, how does a nice young man secretly murder 40 women? Like, how does that work? How does this guy pull it off? Because he's a master of compartmentalization. 
It's why some of us who seem like great guys sitting here, when nobody's looking, we are capable of doing completely opposite of what it looks like we'd be doing sitting here today. It's why the private sides of men often don't match with the public sides. It's why often if you interview family members, children, they're going, my, my dad's anger gets out of control. Like, I know your dad. He seems like a great guy. Yeah, when you're around, you should see him when you're not around. I've heard that one hundreds and hundreds of times. My favorite one was when they were interviewing people who knew mass murders. One neighbor said of a guy, who knew that when he said he was having someone for dinner, he was actually having someone for dinner. Who, who knew that? Now, it's an odd thing to be a nice guy in the community, in the neighborhood, who played with children in a kind way, who then would kill people in the middle of the night, dismember them, and actually eat body parts. That, that's, that's an odd thing. Some of you going, glad I'm not one of those guys. No, but your issues are different, but we'll try to figure out how similar some of them are. Let's look at some basic male identity stuff. Just a series of questions. First one we start off with was just, who am I? Now, most of you don't sit around and ask that. You just make assumptions. I'm me. Don't ask. This is where last Saturday night we did a uh, conference for couples. So one of, the, one of the worst questions women ask is, what, what are you thinking? You, you don't want to know because most of the time I'm not thinking anything. And if you knew what I was thinking, you would not be happy. So just, just don't ask what I'm thinking. The worst one is, what are you feeling? I'm feeling like I hope you don't ask another one of these questions. That's what I'm feeling. So most of you don't sit around and ask this question, who am I? But so many of the decisions you make are about this one. So many things that tucked in the back of your mind are, who am I? Next question is, who, who am I as a man? This is why guys, again, make so many of the decisions they make. Who am I as a man? It's basic identity sorts of things. Again, it's why we drive the things we drive. It's why we do what we do on weekends. It's why we make a number of the decisions we make. It's often why we focus our time and energies in certain things. It's why, why you find guys who are, and we'll look at more of this later, but you'll find guys, for example who are in their 50s or 60s, still trying to date younger women. Not just because they like how they look. Because it's about the guy. It's about who I am, what am I really like, who am I as a man, do I still have it? By the way, most guys, no matter how old they are, think they still have it. Let's just clarify that. Now, Great question. As we get there, the, the key is to get those two to match. But if we went around the room, there would be guys on both sides. It's how I want to view myself, uh, how I want to feel about myself as a man. And sometimes it's how I want to be seen as a man. It's both. What we want to do is get those two sides to match by the end of the day. Not that you're, you have multiple personalities. Most, most of you don't. Uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll try to merge them by noon so that you come out of here as congruent men. Yeah, we, we've done this a lot. We, we can merge 
We can merge multiples there. Am I more than what I do? You don't think about this when you're young, but as you get older, you go, am I, am I just what I do? I define myself by career, profession, by what I do. Is that all I am? Is this what I will always be like? Now, this is true if you're one of those people who aren't happy with your life. This is also true if you're one of those people who have excesses in your life. When the excesses get out of control, you, you, you begin to ask yourself, am I always going to be like this? When your anger gets out of control and you feel at the end of this thing like, when am I ever going to get this one right? Those are the kinds of questions that come into your mind. Whether you actually think them through or they just pop in there. They're there. What's my dark side? Now, most of you don't sit around thinking about your dark side. But let me sell you on your dark side for just a minute. Everybody in the room has a dark side. Dark side is all the way from, if you uh, studied psychology in any way, uh, Jungian psychology talks about the dark, the dark side is the shadow side, just the unexplored side. We've got a, a bunch of men in this room who have just unexplored sides of them. You have no idea what's on the other side of what you are like most any day. There's a whole other side to you. It's just the unexplored side. Now, for some of you in the room, it's actually dark. The dark side is that side that has uh, anger and rage. The dark side is the one that's capable of being a highly irresponsible man. It's the side that lets your quest for sexuality and lust take over and takes you to really dark places. Those are dark side issues. Now, for some of you, your dark side's not that big. Come on, it's... I would say everybody's got one. It's a... For some of you, it's about the size of your thumbnail. For some of you, it's the whole other half of who you are. I mean, the fact that some of you are sitting here today is uh, actually kind of funny. Who, who knew 10 years ago some of you would be sitting in a place like this, listening to somebody talk about this? It's almost easier if your dark side's bigger. Because if your dark side's bigger, you have to keep that thing in check, or it, it can just take over. You can lose it at any moment and just become highly irresponsible. The issue is if your dark side is smaller, again, about the size of your thumbnail, you've got to be careful of that one because it doesn't cause your life to be that bad. So what happens is you just don't deal with it, and then it starts to just sort of eat away. Now, some of you remember the early days, the very earliest days of video games. Do you remember Pac-Man? Yeah. What noise did Pac-Man make? Come on. A little louder. Wonka, wonka, wonka. Yep, yeah, we got Pac-Man down. I think he spent a little too much time with Pac-Man, but that's a whole other issue. Remember Pac-Man? It was just, it was just this kind of uh, entry-level video game, but at the time it was really cool because video games were just out. It was like this little mouth that would just eat eat up little pieces and go all over the board and the more pieces you could eat before you uh, got killed off, that's how many points you got. If you have dark side you don't address, it's almost like having a little Pac-Man in your soul. It eats straight through your soul and then turns around and comes back and just eats away until the whole side of you, in, the whole inside of you is just 
shallow, hollow, empty. When you're around people, it doesn't look that bad. But if you push just a little, you go, guy's empty. Guy's empty. We'll talk more about your dark side later. Final question is, is this all there is to life? In the old days of mid, men's midlife crisis, that was what guys were asking all the time. This is my life. Is this all there is to it? We're now in the 21st century. There is no such thing as midlife crisis for men. It was interesting in the 90s. They started to refer to it as midlife reevaluation. No longer a crisis. It was a kinder, gentler era. And uh, no, no crisis. Just uh, midlife reevaluation. As we're in the 21st century, midlife's getting moved up. What used to happen in the 40s is now 60s. If you haven't heard 60s, the new 40s, some of you are going, good. I, I need a few years longer to get this thing right. And, uh, which then causes the issue that we said earlier. As guys get older, they still think they have it. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that one later. And again, we're still doing some introductory sorts of overview things. I want to look at some ancient images of men. We can just look at sort of current stuff, cultural stuff, stuff that you know and experience. But I think there's great wisdom at taking a look back and going, what have men been like for a long time? Well, since you ask, let's look at some stuff. Robert Hicks in his book, The Masculine Soul, looks at some ancient words. These come from Hebrew tradition, which is uh, recorded for us about 4,000, 4,500 years old. These words begin to have context for men. The first one is the creational male. Adam, Adam, created for a distinct purpose. Each of us begins life with a unique blend of capabilities, character qualities, designated to help us reach our potential as men. I don't know what it's like in Australia. But a lot of men, when their son is born, have a dream of what that son can be. He's got potential. It's a new shot at life. He's got a chance to carry on a family tradition if it's good. He's got a shot at becoming a man of significance if dad feels like he wasn't significant. Got a chance to become something. He's going to... Um, be a particular kind of athlete. He's going to be, take over a family business. He's going to do something. Every man dreams of the next generation of men fulfilling that potential or that dream. The second is the phallic male, Zakar. Though our culture, many cultures, frequently deny or denigrate or pervert male sexuality, remain sexual beings at a very primary level. Even the Bible does not expect us to be otherwise. Good to know. Critical distinctive at this stage is not to fixate on it, but to learn how to channel our sexual energy constructively. It's interesting listening to a lot of men who are in church at about age 50. And they're trying to get their life pulled together finally. And uh, as I talk with a lot of those men and, and a number of their pastors. They report to me 
that guys are just not as interested in sexuality as they used to be because that has been the source of so many of their downfalls in their life. It's like, okay, if I'm finally going to get my act together, I've got to, like, turn the switch off. By the way, if you've not figured this out, men have switches, women have gauges. Women can gauge things, like on a 1 to 10, which they're always asking, on a 1 to 10, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I feel like if I tell you 10, can we quit now? Um, that's what I'm feeling. One of the ones I got recently, a woman said, my husband just never defends me. Like his family are irresponsible and she said all sorts of unkind things about his family. She said, this guy used to be a fighter. Like it was terrible when we first got together. He, he was always fighting somebody. She said, I don't think he's got any fight left in him. Like, like he's just, he's weak now. I said, you know what it is? She goes, no, help me. And I said, because he didn't want to be that guy who got in fights all the time, turn the switch off. And he's scared to death. He turns that switch on. I said, I remember correctly, he's been charged, right? He got out of prison, but he's been charged for being in fights, right? Yeah. He's scared to death. He turns that switch back on. Who knows what's going to come out? Now, you would like it if he's down now. He won't fight for you. He's down to the one. You wish he'd sort of run that thing up to about a four or a five, especially aim it at all at his family, but none of it at you. See, he turns the switch off. If he turns it back on, he has no idea where all that's going to go. Men have switches, typically. Women have gauges. This idea of male sexuality we're going to work on for the rest of today because it's such a key part of who we are, and I don't think we've got to apologize for that nor hide from it. We've got to figure out how to make it part of our being a man of integrity. The third one I like a lot, the warrior spirit. Strength, fighting spirit, stiff competition, though not always uh, exercised appropriately, critical elements of male developmental process. It's what's made men great at business. It's what made, has made men great at leadership. It's men and athletes. It's all sorts of things. It's that fighting spirit. Now what we're going to look at later is what's hard for sons is when dad always has to win. When that, he always has to win no matter how old he is no matter what he does, and if he doesn't have the same ability he used to have, he figures out how to cheat well. Which is why men cheat on taxes, cheat in business, cheat other places. We think we can do that. It's that warrior spirit. It's a good thing. We just got to figure out how to keep it good. The next side is the wounded male. Some of you are going, yeah, I don't like the sounds of this one. No, listen for a minute. Wounds are a natural, very important consequence of passing through the warrior stage. It's through wounding that a man begins to understand the needs of those around him. You remember the scenes from Braveheart? The old guy. He could, he could take an arrow right through his armor into the chest, break it off, still keep going. He, he had the warrior spirit, but he knew when it was time to pass it on to the next generation. He knew he wasn't going to be the one to see it. But he was going to do whatever it took to make sure the next generation got to do it right. 
because he'd had that fight deep down inside him. He wasn't about to give it up just because he took one arrow in the chest. Just one arrow. Come on. You can keep going with one arrow through the chest, can't you? Yeah, not on Saturday mornings, apparently. Okay. Wounding's a natural part of the whole process of being a man. The next one is the mature man. Mature man is very purposeful, possessing high regard for the dignity of others, balanced understanding of the truth. He's not afraid to go against the grain in pursuit of what is right. He's willing to stand up for what's right in the community, right in society. Stand up against the other stuff. While life is stagnating for those men who put roots down in earlier stages, the mature man has a life that's growing more exciting day by day. You've seen these guys. Guys who still have fire in their belly at 60, 70. They're still going strong. They have figured out how to put all those pieces of their life together. Love those guys. We need those guys. They can make a great contribution. But on the other hand, we've got guys who have stayed in that that, uh, warrior stage. They're only a warrior in their own mind. Everybody else calls them an aging warrior, old guy warrior, just an old guy who doesn't get it. They still have to win. They win arguments. They have to be right at everything. And everybody around them, from their family to the community around them, goes, Come on, buddy. It's time. Move on. Get over it. Move on. You know guys that are still in their 60s and they're still trying to figure out, Do I have it with women in their 20s and 30s? If they have enough money, maybe. Otherwise, no. No. You see, if you put down roots earlier and don't keep moving through stages of life, you become all the way from just you're ineffective what you're doing to seriously sometimes the people around you just go, it's a joke. The guy's a joke. He still thinks he's got to win everything. But nobody respects him for it. He's only amazing in his own mind. Now, none of you are that way. But there's guys out there They're amazing in their mind. Everybody else goes, yeah, right. Sure. The last one is one that uh, I love. The sage. The gray-haired or no-haired guy. He's the fulfilled man. Wise, mature, fully command of his soul. Sage is equipped to make finest contribution to family, church, community, culture. Guys, if you notice, as you get older, I'm glad we've got a few guys who are getting older here. Yeah. Sure, it's it's those other guys back there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you notice as you get older... People don't ask for your opinion nearly as much as when you're young. If you notice, as you get older, most people don't want your opinion. But they'd love your wisdom. And there's a really big difference. We have men in this room who have lived more than 50 years. There are men out there who've lived 50 years and they've had one one year of experience repeated 50 times. 
And then we've got guys in this room who've actually got 50 years of experience. We need guys like that. Seriously. The culture, the community, the church needs guys like that. So that when they're around you, they actually ask for what you think instead of you just offering it. They ask. And then you don't tell them everything you've ever thought, but you sort of know that right thing to say. I was doing a a church leaders conference in, in middle America. Usually don't do these. There's somebody who needed it. We gathered a bunch of uh, churches and a couple community organizations together for a weekend. I was doing the Saturday thing. And somebody, I have no idea of what I said that got this triggered. But they began this conversation of how you teach children not to swear. And this conversation was going way too long. And how, how to uh, clarify that you don't say things like, shoot or shucks or darn. And, and this conversation was just going on way too long. And uh, I, I couldn't get it back on target. And so I just decided to break early for lunch. Thought, let them get over it sitting around their tables at lunch. Well, there were about ten chairs to a table. Our, our table, no matter how hard I tried, kept coming back to this thing. We were uh, sitting there, and the conversation just wouldn't stop. And I apparently looked like I was very annoyed. And there was a man at the table, 72 years old. Oldest guy there. And uh, there was just a pause. And he said, I'll tell you what I think. He said, whenever conversations like this come up, I always just say shit. He goes, that way everybody knows exactly what you mean. You don't have to clarify anything. That ended the entire conversation. I mean, what do you say next? I thought, good on you, mate. You, uh, you summarized that whole thing. One sentence, one clear word. Cut right through it. Most respected man there. And when he said that, nobody else needed to say anything. I'm now starting to get to the age where I can say what I've wanted to say for a long time. I've wanted to say to men, come on, guys. We don't need you to just give your opinions all the time. If you've noticed, nobody, nobody's asking. Sometimes nobody cares what you think. But we need you. We need you to become men of wisdom. Now, I'm finally at the age where I can start talking like that because I'm starting to be one of them. And I like that. I was at a conference um, more than 10 years ago, and it hit me so strong. I'd, I'd been thinking about some of these things, and it hit me so strong. I'm no longer one of the sharp young guys. I was 39, I figured up, and uh, I knew I wasn't one of the sharp young guys because the really sharp young guys were coming to talk to me, and it was clear to them I wasn't one of them. So it was clear I had to get used to it. I was no longer one of the sharp young guys. And at first, that hit me hard. Come on, I'm not one of the sharp young guys anymore. In my, in my mind, I, I still am. But not time to get over this. And this place where the conference center was on a nice, uh, it was in the middle of a city, nice river and park area. So I thought, I'm going to take the afternoon off and go sit around and uh, think this through. I thought, it's okay. I've had a good long run as a sharp young guy. I've had, I've had my shot. 
My job is to now help and feed the dreams of those really sharp young guys for the next decade. And then my job is to become a sage. I want to become a man of wisdom. See, when you become a man of wisdom, you don't even have to say much. You just make noises. Think about it. People come and ask you something, you go, Ugh. Ooh. Mm. You just come. You sort of sit at a throne and they bring you people and you just make noises. Uh, uh. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. You don't have to say much. It's like when, it's like when there's this interview. Interview with the Pope. Interview, they interview the Pope. <laughs> and they said, Pope, what do you think about this? And he goes, I, I think people should trust God. They put that on the air, around the world. You go, Pope, come on, buddy, don't, don't you have more than this? No. no that's what he's got. No, this, this one's about God. Like, yeah, trust him. Yeah, stop the violence. Trust God. Pope, come on, buddy. You got, how many languages do you speak? And I mean, how? how? No, man of wisdom. He just says that and they go, oh, yeah, the Pope, Pope said that. Okay. Good on you, Pope. We took time to go through these because you're not always going to be where you are today. You're going to move to the next level and then the next. If you get stuck at the earlier stage, you become one of those guys where people go, eh, you know, he's like that. Let's look at the private side of men. Let's start hammering this out. Let's look at your private side. What do you like? This comp-